At a time when educating girls was seen as controversial, Brisbane Girls Grammar School opened its doors to provide young women in Queensland the same opportunities as their brothers. 145 years on, Girls Grammar strives to enrich lives through learning. Join us as we explore topics that are current and relevant to students, families and teachers in Illumin. Welcome to Illumin, a space for discussion about important and hopefully interesting topics in education. I'm Jacinda Isla, Principal of Brisbane Girls Grammar School and your host today as we discuss a very important and timely topic, democracy its rise, fall and various permutations. And we talk about how it's being taught and explored in our history classrooms. I was a student of history at university in 1989 and I vividly recall that moment when we learned that the Berlin Wall had fallen. It was so unexpected, it seemed surreal. And by the time I later returned to university to become a teacher and first started teaching history in the late 1990s, it certainly seemed that democracy was the inevitable outcome of history's forward march. Relatively fresh in our memories were moments like the fall of the Berlin Wall and the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Liberalism and all of its associated ideals, such as freedom and equality, was triumphing over authoritarianism around the world. Yet, since the turn of the millennium, more than 25 democracies have failed. Even democracy's modern champion and defender, the United States, is facing great challenge and fragmentation. How might history help us to understand this democratic decline? How do students learn to explore its concepts in their classes? And why is it important that they do? So to discuss those very interesting topics and complex topics we all acknowledge, today I'm speaking with Alison Dare, Director of Humanities at Brisbane Girls Grammar School, which is a very complex role, of course. It's a diverse faculty, but these are fascinating times for them all to be teaching. She's very well educated, a Bachelor of Arts with a double major in History, an Honours in Art History, a Master of Film and Media Studies, and of course, her Diploma in Education. For nearly 30 years... Alison Dare has taught at Girls Grammar. She is a gifted humanities educator with expertise across a whole range of subjects. But most importantly, she is passionate about the power of humanities education to help us, particularly young people, make sense of the complexity of the human condition. Welcome, Alison. Thank you, Jacinda. Alison, I'm really pleased that we have a chance to talk about these important topics because, of course, obviously, the study of history is important to both of us. You have written a quite personal but very succinct article about democracy's decline, and we've published that on the BGGS website. So if our listeners haven't yet read it, I strongly encourage you to do so. But if we start with some of the exploration of the context in which you studied history. You mentioned that in your second year at university, you too saw the fall of the Berlin Wall and many other momentous wins for democracy around the world. It was certainly an optimistic time to begin your teaching career. But I'm curious to know what has changed for you since then? How did you teach history and what topics did you cover in the past compared to now in 2020? I think to begin with, Jacinda, Our essential approach to the teaching of history in terms of historical topics is the same. We interrogate the past particular individuals or particular moments in time from different perspectives and we 
try to encourage critical thinking amongst our students. But I suppose on a personal level, my approach has changed over time. When I started at the school, I was really young. I was in my early 20s. So it was easy for me to connect with the students to understand, I guess, the subcultural world that they inhabited. And I could make a connection with them because I understood that world a little bit better. As I've got older, of course, that's quite unfamiliar to me now. And so it's almost that point of difference that I use as a connecting point. The students laugh when I I have no clue about (laughs) the social media platforms that they use. I think they find it funny. So I guess my um, approach to connections with the student is different. In terms of the topics that we cover, we've always tried to mirror or pick up on what's going on in the broader society. So when I started teaching in the 1990s, we used to do a unit on the war in the Balkans. And that was obviously very topical because the war in the Balkans was going on in that early period. We also did a unit on East Timor in in Year 10 history. Mm, And of course, after the East Timorese won independence, that topic was less pressing. Some topics go in and out of favour. So we used to do a topic on China, the rise of modern China. We dropped that topic. It's come back again. So the, the units that we look at really match what we think is relevant in the world today. Year 11 modern history, we look at Aboriginal civil rights. Some topics never go out of favour. So, for example, in modern history, we would always cover Nazi Germany and the Cold War. Ancient history, we would always cover Julius Caesar, the collapse of the Roman Republic, ancient Egypt. So some some topics are always relevant. Relevance comes and goes depending on what's happening in the wider world. I guess that's how we connect. But you have a particular interest in democracy. So you also are in the wonderful position of being an ancient history teacher as well as a modern history teacher. Drawing upon your article, tracking through various times in history, you explore when democracy has succeeded and when it has fallen into decline. You highlight parallels between the rise of fascism in the early 20th century and the kind of authoritarian leaders and governments we're seeing around us today. How do you think that period Period, the early 20th century is similar to our current society, but how also is our current era quite different? I think we see the emergence of, it's been described as a sort of hyper-masculine leader, uh, the authoritarian charismatic leader. I think there are a lot of parallels between those kinds of leaders in the early 20th century and leaders today. We also see recourse to ultranationalism and perhaps today that's in response to a globalised world. In this globalised world we live in, many people have lost their jobs and there's a sense in the middle of, I guess, the culture wars that some people who were once the dominant mainstream feel that they are now losing out and I think that these charismatic leaders appeal to those people who are feeling disenfranchised. So I think that there are some similar narratives going on between the arguments that are used by these leaders. I think what's different, though, is that the early 20th century leaders 
were much more ideologically driven, whereas today it's been described more as a kleptocracy. It's more about monetary gain than it was then, perhaps. But I think there are certainly some interesting parallels. I guess another one is the emphasis on law and order, building up a strong military, marginalisation of difference, stifling of the press. The list really goes on, I guess. So there's lots of toing and froing in the study of history, reaching back, trying to understand, apply, but not perfectly apply to the current context. And and you've also talked uh, about the need to understand your students, as you've just said, understanding their contemporary world, their outlook, which is very different from our own. But you also uh, mentioned, of course, about the students that you currently teach being born on the other side of Francis Fukuyama's The End of History, so to speak. So their world today isn't divided into those distinct power blocks, for example. And certainly, you know, as you know, I studied Cold War history and it was all about power blocks. What are some of the defining political moments from the lifetime of our own students, do you think, have influenced their worldview? And and on the whole, how do you think they feel about democracy as a concept? I think that for students now, 9-11 is a turning point. Whether in reality it's a turning point, I'm not sure, but certainly in the discourse, it's because of the way it's been described, it's become a turning point. All of our students are now born on the other side of that watershed moment. They're born into a world of global terrorism. They're born into a world where the goodies and baddies aren't so easily defined. They're born into a world where there's a lot of covert activity a lot of tracking down terrorists in different places, wars that seem very complicated. If you think about the war in Syria, it's difficult to understand what that's about and who the players are. I think some students perhaps switch off because it's so difficult to comprehend what's going on there. If you think about World War II, which became a struggle against Hitler, it's very easy to see Hitler was a very evil individual. It's not so easy to see who's in the right and who's in the wrong now. Mm. So I think for students it's in a way more complicated. Maybe over time when they look back it will make more sense. But in the middle of this situation it's very difficult to understand. And there's such a barrage of information for them. And in fact, I spoke to two of your students a little earlier just to ask them, I guess, what they saw as the value of studying history. Today I'm speaking with two of our Year 12 history students, Hannah Pearson and Zara Davidson. Between them, they study modern history and ancient history, and they are both very widely read in these areas. I'm going to ask them to start, what do you think the value of studying history is? Hannah, what would you say? Why is it worthwhile? History is obviously the study of what's happened in the past, and I find that in history you can use what you've learnt to relate to current events, and it really shapes your worldview. Also, when you're able to read as a part of it and be able to draw parallels, it really helps your understanding of current events. 
And speaking of current events, Zara, have you been able to draw upon your understanding of history and apply it to what's happening in the world around us today? Absolutely. I think you definitely need to understand where you came from in order to understand where you're going in terms of world events. So it always helps to understand the foundations of why things are happening. Additionally, you you see parallels all throughout history. Studying ancient history and modern history is especially beneficial because they play out again and again and again in slightly different ways over so many of those areas. I think when we were studying communist China in modern history, that was when Xi Jinping was being elected leader for life. So we were able to see patterns play out again and theorise on how they might possibly continue. And obviously the concept and ideals of democracy is incredibly important in your history classes. Do you think, as is often said, that democracy is actually in decline at this time? And given that you're nodding, I'll assume that you agree. What do you think might be some of the reasons for that, Zara? I think there's been certain crises during the modern age that have, especially actually considering that there's a lot more information sharing and it's and there can also be more fear-mongering as a result of this. It's easier for information to get around, but it's also easier for misinformation to get around. And it's causing people to seek safety of a sort. And some countries and some people are seeking that safety in more authoritarian-style governments where they think that they can see, seek security, perhaps in a less democratic way. And you touch on the notion of, of where do you get your information from. So, Hannah, where do you get your information from uh, when you're looking at world events? I mean, I follow a few news accounts on Instagram, which is good just to be able to see it whenever I open it. But then I also, my family and I quite enjoy watching the news together. It's oh, a little family that's a activity. Sort of almost an old traditional yeah. historic thing for yeah. families to do. What, what do you watch? Uh, we like the ABC. Mm-hmm. This is not an ad for the ABC, by the way, for our (laughs) listeners. So, Hannah, let's talk about fascinating or surprising topics in history. What have you explored in your studies that you found particularly compelling? This is kind of an unusual one, but I think it's quite well known. The Cultural Revolution in China. Mm. When I studied that, I just found it so bizarre. This is an odd parallel, but I remember there was this dancing plague that happened in Germany in the 15th century or something really unusual like that and I remember just thinking that you know this almost spontaneous action that people just take and it's so violent and I just thought about you know this dancing plague where everyone was just dancing and I know that's a very unusual parallel but it was so bizarre that people just got up and you know they perpetrated so much violence against people that they knew Well, girls, thank you for sharing your particular insights and experiences about the study of history. I hope that your interest stays with you throughout your life and um, perhaps either of you considering continuing in your tertiary studies with history? I would really like to continue studying it, if not as a degree, at least as an elective. I still think it's very important to be able to understand the foundations of what is happening now in terms of what has happened in the past. It's definitely worthwhile even just for understanding that yeah and even if I'm not studying it I'm always going to have a very strong interest in it absolutely you don't have to make careers out of every interest and hopefully the fact that you've enjoyed it at school will stay with you and and set you up with the skills that you need to make sense of the world a little better in the years ahead Alice 
Alison, in your article, you also go back to democracy's ancient origins. And one point you make regarding the collapse of the Roman Republic, of course, is that Augustus ultimately transformed the state through a series of settlements made with the traditional holders of power within that system, the Senate. That slow relinquishing of power by the elected leaders was as much a factor in the state's dissolution as the charismatic leadership of Augustus. Where do you see similar erosion occurring today and what kinds of things raise alarm bells for you in current democracies? I think sometimes we focus too much on the leaders so it's clear when you look around the world, you can see, you know, in the Philippines, extrajudicial killings or, you know, a lot's been said about the interference with the postal service in the United States or in Russia you see, you know, Putin's extending of his own tenure. But the people do play a role in that. And I think just as the people played a role in accepting Augustus, the charismatic leader... The people play a role today in that they perhaps become complacent or lazy or seduced by the promises made by leaders. I like the way Dr Addison describes it as people clicking away their freedom. And I think that we need to account for the role of social media, that the world people inhabit is increasingly very idiosyncratic in terms of the information environment that people are living in. They are going down certain rabbit holes of their own particular chosen set of beliefs. And in doing that, they're not seeing the bigger picture. They're being persuaded by media, social media, and they're not aware of the forces that work behind the information that they are willingly swallowing. So I think that idea of clicking away your freedom is is a very powerful one. And your reflection on democracy in ancient Athens seems timely, of course, but because you're pointing out that democracy is only as strong as its citizens. What do you mean by that? And what do you see as the essential learning and foundations that young people need to be good democratic citizens? I think that we make the assumption, especially people of my vintage, that democracy is the natural and normal state of affairs without accounting for the fact that it's something that is arrived at through a lot of hard work. So any sort of freedom, freedom for women to get the vote or independence movements take a lot of hard work. And I think that if you're born into that and that's just how it is, you can assume that it's always going to be like that. But it has to be maintained. It requires vigilance. And I think one of the reasons that people give up that freedom is because they, they've never experienced what it's like to not have that freedom. Mm. Older people, maybe our grandparents' generation, do understand that a little bit better. I think we don't know how, how good things are until, obviously, we lose that. And I know that sounds trite, but, it, but it's true. In Athens, Plato turned his back on democracy because he was so disillusioned by the people who turned on Socrates, their greatest achievement, their greatest star. And the reason Plato put forward was that that they weren't educated enough, that if you leave democracy in the hands of people who are not educated, how can they make educated decisions? How can they make decisions about their leader if they don't understand the world that they live in? 
And if education is the key to a vibrant democracy, one of the challenges, obviously, at the moment is where do we get our information? And you've talked a lot about social media. But do you guide students to particular sources of information? Uh, Certainly when I'm speaking to them, often it's just coming off Facebook or even off Instagram. Where do you direct your students to gather their information from? I suppose it depends on what it is that we're looking at. Firstly, we teach them to be critical readers. So we're not saying don't look at Facebook or don't look at anything. Mm. Look at anything you like, Wikipedia, whatever it is, but be critical readers. So think about where the information comes from. I don't explicitly steer them into, oh, you must watch the ABC. Um, If I did, they probably wouldn't anyway. But I think it's important for them to question everything that they read and to understand that Facebook is not a reliable source. So if they're doing research in the library, for example, we would steer them into the carefully curated resources that our school databases provide. So just understanding that the credentials of different authors, different publications, the motivations behind information is really important because I can't really control what media world they inhabit beyond my classroom. All I can do is give them the tools to be critical readers. But you do love your classroom and the great joy that comes out of being a teacher. And obviously you're still doing it with the same passion that you brought to the job, perhaps even more from over 20 years ago. What is it that's, I guess, life-affirming and positive and inspiring about being a teacher of young people? I never get bored of the energy that young people bring to the classroom and the curiosity I find even if I had two classes of the one-year level, they're different. Mm. And I find that very energising. And I find the perspective of the students very interesting. And although I can't assume they have knowledge that I might have assumed they had 20 years ago, I find that they're very curious to learn. And there is a great deal of curiosity amongst the students and they do want to learn. And they're very interested in the world around them. And so with all this talk of decline, dissolution and erosion, there must be some optimistic things that you're teaching your students. There must be something positive on the historical world stage at the moment. How do you see the students in your classroom shaping the history of our nation and and what do you think they might hope to achieve? I think we need to teach them that they can be leaders in any sphere and I think the way they need to learn that is that to be a leader takes hard work and that any struggle it's not all exciting it's a lot of you know behind the scenes boring laborious kind of work so for example in the year nine course we've just completed we've looked at women's struggle to get the vote in Australia and the myth that that was a gift to women but in actual fact it was a struggle and it Mm. took a very long time And it took a lot of hard work on a lot of different fronts. So the girls need to know, yes, you can can achieve change and there's a lot that still needs to be changed, but you need to be very dedicated to the cause. I think students are very optimistic about their future. I think, yes, they get stressed about different things, but I think that we as teachers need to guide them into an optimistic future to see that there is a lot of hope lying ahead of them. 
And do you think the study of history is helpful in that regard? We hear such a lot about the decline of the study of humanities, not just in schools, but certainly uh, in universities. Do you still think the humanities is relevant? I think the humanities will always be relevant. And I think sometimes we can... It was a bit of a leading question there, Alison. <laughs> I think you're speaking to the converted... Of course but... I'm going to give you this answer. Yes, extra, expand upon it. But of course, it. humanities, and I say this to my students, it doesn't matter what area of study you go into, you will still need to know about the world around you. And in a, in a way, it's even more important because whatever area you go into, increasingly these knowledge areas are connected. Hmm. So, for example, if you become an engineer, you'll still have to write reports, you'll still have to understand the communities that you're working for. History will enable you to draw connections with the culture that you're in and enable you to understand human motivations and give you a depth of understanding. Alison, thank you for your time as you wrestle with important questions no less complex than understanding the human condition. So thank you for your thoughtfulness and for your time. Thank you, Jacinda. You have been listening to Illumin, a podcast by Brisbane Girls Grammar School. Music was written and performed by Year 12 student Lily Lau Coombs. To learn more about our school, visit our website at www.bggs.qld.edu.au.